Well, it is good to be at uh, Hoffman Town. Mary and I have looked forward in anticipation of being here. Um, I don't know if I can live up to that introduction or not, David. Uh, some of it was true, though. That was good. I, I, I thought you did a good job on that. Uh, I, I like to think that I know all of those 6,000-plus names, uh, and I know most of them. Uh, but, you know, uh, I, 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 as I begin to age, some of you older people remember that sometimes you don't always remember as quick as you used to, you know? And some of you feel that pain. But anyhow, uh, we had a great ministry there in Kansas City. And uh, glad to be with you today. And we do believe by the providence of God that we're here uh, to, to be with you during these times. Certainly praying that uh, for such a time as this that God would use us in a mighty way. And we're, we're believing him for that. I know you brought your Bible. If you find it, you can open it to Galatians chapter 1. One of the things about myself is not only am I a preacher, but really... I, I'm called of God not only to proclaim the Word of God, but to, to pastor people. And uh, the, the motif that the Bible uses oftentimes is to shepherd the people. And that's what I want to be to you in these coming days, not only someone who preaches on Sunday, but to shepherd your souls. I love what it says in Psalm 78, 72. Speaking of King David, it says, He shepherded Israel according to the skillfulness of his hands and the integrity of his heart. So David had those two qualities of competency, skillfulness, but also character according to the integrity of his heart. Every leader ought to have those two qualities. Wouldn't you agree that they would be competent in what they're doing? And, and certainly that they would be a person of integrity. Doesn't matter if it's um, uh, every institution that's out there, every secular organization, but so much more in the church. And so I, I hope that I can be all that God would have me be during these days as I seek to uh, steer this ship for a little while as your interim shepherd and pastor. Uh, I, I would be quick to confess, even as I've told those I've had privilege to interact with, I, I love the local church. I do. This is the calling of my life to get to lead the local church. And uh, I haven't got to know everyone here that's in this room today, but I will tell you, I love this church. I pulled in this parking lot today, and I had a kindred love for Hoffman Town Church. And so I pray that over these months ahead, weeks, months and ahead, that, that that would be a growing love and that we could bond our hearts together to do some significant things for the kingdom of God. So... Today, as I really thought and prayed about what I could share with you, I thought it would be pretty essential that you get to know Mary and I a little bit. I'm going to share with you our testimony, uh, a little bit of our background, our call to ministry, who we are, and uh, because really it is the, 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 the handprint of God on our life and what he's done. And I pray that our testimony certainly would resonate with you today. So I'm going to read Galatians chapter 1. This is going to be our text for today. So you please stand on of reading God's Word. I think we'll have the text up on the screen so you can follow along as I read the text. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you. 
and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Father, we pray for your anointing. Speak to us from this scripture today and through the testimony of your servant, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to look at three things together today, and you'll find the outline there on the, uh, on the screens. The first thing I want to talk about is the messenger, because the first word that we read in Galatians chapter 1 is an introduction to the author who we know as the Apostle Paul. This was Saul of Tarsus, as you know. And as you read uh, these 13 Pauline epistles that we have in the New Testament, they all begin with an introduction to who he is, the Apostle Paul. And here he mentions his authority, declaring his apostleship and how the privileges he has served in this esteemed office really didn't come from a religious council. It wasn't that he had been appointed by a bishop, but it was God himself who sovereignly selected him and transformed him from a persecutor of Christians now to being uh, used mightily of God to go to the Gentiles proclaiming the gospel to them. So what I want to do quickly is share a little bit of the narrative of my life, maybe give you a better understanding of who I am, the transformation that, uh, that God has made in my life and the calling of God on, on our life. I was born to teenage parents in Ada, Oklahoma, Back in 19, none of your business. <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> I was raised in a Christian home. We went to church on Sunday, and uh, I, I did as well. At nine years old, at a church camp not far outside Ada, I made a public profession of my faith, went forward during the invitation time, and got on my knees and prayed and asked Jesus to be my personal Savior. Things changed as they so often do in uh, home life. We continued to go to church till I was about 15 years old, and uh, my parents began to have some problems and issues that eventually led to, to their divorce. Not that I can blame them. You know, I was, I was a teenager. I was, I was big enough to go to church, but sometimes without leadership in the home, you begin to drift. And I began to drift. It was a, it was, it was a slow fade, but it took, us, took me personally a long way. From God. So for the next nine or ten years, uh, you could probably get on one hand the times that maybe I was in church. But it was about that time, this was 1975 to give you an idea, uh, I ended up in the hospital. I've got type 1 diabetes and had it uh, since 1967, 52 years, and I'm still standing, praise be to God. But this was a serious situation. I was, ended up in the hospital a couple of weeks and I thought I was going to die, quite frankly. And, and there was a lot of fear in my life. One, the fear of dying was real. And really, even more than that, the fear of this negligence of what I knew that I needed to be in living my life for the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember it as if it were only yesterday. I was alone in a hospital room there, having been uh, there for probably a week or so. And uh, I reached in the nightstand, and there was a Gideon Bible there. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's the first time I've opened the Bible, and I can remember. 
And as God would providentially had it, I opened it to Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 36. And you know what it said? For what will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And I remember slipping out of that bed and getting there on that hospital floor and giving my heart in totality to Jesus Christ as a young adult. Mary and I had uh, two boys already, and... uh, we began a new pilgrimage to seek to serve the Lord. And we've been on that now for uh, 42 plus years. And uh, uh, it, was, uh, it, it was God's deliverance for us. I began to serve in a local church, First Baptist Church of Eight, Oklahoma. I, I was ordained as deacon there uh, when I was about 30 years old, youngest deacon on about 50-member uh, deacon board there. And and served in teaching Sunday school and whatever way the, the Lord would open. And then in 1982, felt a call to ministry. And because uh, the Holy Spirit had been convicting me of some things that, uh, that I believe that God wanted for my life. And so we, we quit our jobs. We loaded up our two boys and we headed south and went to uh, Southwestern Seminary. And I began to train for ministry. I had never preached a sermon. I wasn't sure I could preach a sermon but I knew that God was calling me to do this. And what God calls us to do, he indeed enables us to do. And so I began to prepare for the ministry. We lived down there. I, got a, uh, I had to finish an uh, undergraduate degree. I dropped out of college. Mary and I got married uh, uh, young. Uh, we've been married 48 years, so you can guess uh, how young we were. She was only nine. And uh, <laughs> something, I mean, she, something like that. 19 maybe. I couldn't remember. But uh, anyhow, I had to finish my undergraduate degree, went over to Dallas Baptist University, and then I uh, got a couple of degrees, as David made mention, from Southwestern Seminary. And you know, it's not easy if you don't have any experience uh, in church staff work or serving the church to, to get a church. And, uh, but the grace of God, he opened up a, a door for me to serve bivocationally. And so I pastored in a little rural church down in southern Oklahoma for a couple of years. And, and the Lord used me there, and, and, and I learned probably more than I was able to teach uh, that, that small congregation. But, but, but God was, was using us, and he was working in our lives. And we had a chance to go then to uh, First Baptist Church Piedmont, Oklahoma, northwest Oklahoma City. We served there about four years. And then we had uh, this open door that we that we pursued uh, to, to plant the church that Mary and I served in for 26 years, known as Lenexa Baptist Church. And over those period of years, trying to get a church started, meeting in a school, meeting in temporary locations, and all that goes with that, I, I, uh, I, I learned some lessons that uh, I didn't even know I needed to learn, quite frankly. We, we, had, some, we had some challenging, ti- challenging times during those days. Matter of fact, we had worked there for about, uh, served there about three and a half years. The church had got up to almost 200 people. And then one Sunday, man, everything just came apart at the seams, it seems. And, and, and all of a sudden, we found ourselves not having 200 people, but we had 100. And then we began to, to decline a little further, get down to about 75 people. And we, we were wondering if we were going to be able to survive what we believed God had called us to do. But we were able to persevere and endure And God began to really breathe a fresh wind of the Spirit in the ministry that we had hoped to develop there. Pretty soon we got 100 back, and then we had 200, and then we had 300, and then we had 500, and then we had 1,000. 
And then God continued to move and bless for about 21 consecutive years. We experienced growth. All that to say, it's through these difficult days, as you well know, because many of you have had these difficult days, that we learn things in our life. Sometimes we need to be brought low before we can be shaped and be usable for God. And certainly that was the reality of our story. And through that, I learned this. If you want to be used of God, you've got to walk in humility. You've got to let him mold and shape you after his perfect will. And so we have a great story to tell. And I'm going to be unpacking that over these, uh, these weeks and months with you because I did learn some things. I learned some principles I think that will be applicable in the context of Hoffmantown Church. And so I pray that God would use me here. I'm the messenger. God's called me. And I'm going to come to you prepared to preach the word of God and, and come in anticipation that he wants to do something continually in my life and in your life as well. Secondly, let's not only talk about the messenger, let's talk about the message. Because in this introduction, Paul gives a word of greeting in verse 3. And then in verse 4, he tells that the message he's been entrusted with. And he uses this phrase to communicate the essence of the gospel, declaring Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us, is the word he used, deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God. And then verse 1, as you know, it's the validation of the gospel. It's the essence of the Christian faith as he mentions the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And certainly, well, just week before last, we were celebrating Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But truth of the matter is, we could never meet unless Jesus had resurrected from the dead. It's the, it's the truth, the validation of the Christian message. For I delivered unto you that which I also received, how that Christ died for sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, and on the third day he arose again according to the Scriptures. It, it's what we preach. It's the, it's the message. It's the gospel account. So here in Galatians, the reason Paul brings this up quickly, there were some errant teachings that had made their way into this church, these churches of Galatia, and it was relative to a group that you're familiar with probably. It's called the Judaizers. They had the skewed, the, the simple message of justification by faith, and they were teaching that for a person to really be saved, that they had to become a Jewish proselyte. By that, they would follow the, the rite of circumcision, uh, the, the Jewish dietary laws, that they would observe the Jewish holy days, and uh, all that Judaism was about, and then also believe in Jesus Christ. But Paul is simply saying, uh, I'm on a mission here to teach that the gospel is what I delivered unto you, that, that simple and saving message that it's salvation by grace through faith, and we're justified not by works, but by faith. Matter of fact, look at what he says in verse 8. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven were to come and preach a different gospel to you than, than what ha that you have received, let that one be accursed. So here's my commitment to you. Every time I walk to this pulpit, I'm going to preach the truth of the gospel message. I'm going to preach 
whatever the text is saying. I'm going to unpack the truth of the scripture that we're talking about. But the essence of what we do as, as, as preachers of the gospel is to point people to the gospel, to point people to Jesus Christ. Jesus is enough. And certainly we will seek to make that the focal point of preaching the word of God to the people of God. Uh, you know, I love what it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, for all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's, it's the breath of God. Theonoustos is the word. That God breathed this book and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness so that the man and woman of God could be thoroughly furnished for every good work. Here's what I know. It's true in my life and your life. You and I either validate this message of the gospel by our behavior or we invalidate it by our own hypocrisy. You and I can either attract people to the Lord Jesus Christ through our faithfulness or we can invalidate the message by our own hypocrisy. And oftentimes this message is no better than the messenger who proclaims it. People cannot get by our own testimony to find the truth of what the Bible teaches. So I'm just simply reminding you that all of us are on display. You remember what the Bible says? that Our lives are like letters being read by all men. You know, I recently read two reasons people don't come to church. I mean, there's Plenty of reasons, I suppose, but these two are primary, and I think you'll agree with me. The perception is this, that the people there are too judgmental. And the second is this, that they are too big of hypocrites. So I want to say quickly, let's leave the judging to God. Let's begin to personify a message of, of grace and mercy Man, you cannot read the Gospels without seeing the, the thing that Jesus so disdained was this, this, these religious snobs, the Pharisees, they're holier than thou. And he calls us to be authentic, to walk in humility, to receive the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. I know you're Bible believers. We believe in the plenary verbal inspiration of scriptures. We believe that all of the words in the Bible contain the truths of the word of God. Not that it contains the word of God, but it is the word of God. And so let's make it our mission to study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen who need not be ashamed, people who will rightly divide the word of truth. At Lenexa Baptist... Um, it was in 2002 that we really had, we had a small uh, campus there. And, well, one thing I love about Hoffmantown's pulling on this great campus and, and just parking everywhere. It's awesome. But anyhow, we had really gotten all the people we could get on the campus and was running seven shuttles off campus to get people there to the church. So we started a, a campus expansion ministry and we began to revitalize some churches. We ended up with five additional campuses, which would uh, three in Kansas, two others in Missouri. We're right there, of course, on the state line. So to do that, I had to rethink about what indeed are the core values 
what are the non-negotiables in the ministry that we had done and built that God had blessed because we wanted to transfer that DNA to these campuses we were starting and we had preaching pastors there, people that uh, either were on staff with us or they'd grown up in the church and understood the ministry was trying to, that we were trying to develop. And I come up with five, five non-negotiables. I called them touchstones. And I pressed forward with these things, with these new campus pastors, so hopefully to keep them on task. Number one was this, we're going to preach the Bible. We're going to walk to the pulpit, we're going to open the Bible, we're going to preach a text from the Scriptures to the glory of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we're going to be people-centered. By that I mean we're not going to be... We're not going to be event-driven. We're not going to be project-driven. We're not just looking uh, for something to, 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 to really create a, 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 a bigger event by. We're simply going to love the people that God sends our way. We're going to invest in people. You know, I like to say this. You know, all the church has to offer, we, we've got one commodity, that's it, and that is relationships. That's what we have. We offer people a relationship vertically with God himself through faith in Jesus Christ. And then what is it? This relationship that we have horizontally. God's people together, fellowshipping together. And so while indeed we first and primary, it's about God, but secondly, it's about being able to function together in the body of Christ. Let's not, let, let's not get too big for our britches. Let's remember that we've got a mission to serve even the least of these. And so let's stay focused on that one hurting soul. Jesus would leave the 99 and go after the one, and we're going after the one. We were, we were seeking to be people-centered. Third thing, we would be in, uh, intentionally evangelistic. By that, I mean this. We, we, would, uh, we would understand that we've got to lead the way as pastors of sowing gospel seeds wherever we go to seek to help people to see their need for Jesus Christ. And what we would do, we would give a public invitation, invite people to make decisions for God each and every time we preached the Bible. And so we, we, we were intentionally evangelistic. By the grace of God, and David made mention we had 6,000 members at Lenexa Baptist Church when I retired, 2,000 of those who had come through faith in Christ and, and believers' baptism. We were intentionally evangelistic. We, fourthly, we were to create a warm and welcoming environment. And I'm telling you, you got to be intentional about this. And, 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 and here's what I know. People come and visit your church. Within the first 45 seconds, they walk in that door. They've made a decision if this will be a church that they might join. Not that they're necessarily going to join it. But I'm telling you, if things are goofy and, and, and nobody, if, if people are indifferent... And they don't sense that this thing is okay, it's a good place, it's a safe place, these people are okay, then, then they're going to be making uh, a decision already that eventually will uh, not be the decision we're hoping to make, that they will come and feel like they're loved. And we would be creating a warm and welcoming environment. And then the last thing is that we would be mission-driven, that we would stay on mission for God, uh, certainly beginning in our Jerusalem, but also Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And I believe that those are five of the key fundamental things 
that God will bless in any church. So as we seek to be here for a while, I want to develop those things and try to, 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 try to remember that, uh, uh, that, that, that this, this is good stuff, that we will, we will certainly um, send us on the right path to do what I believe that God will honor and bless. i got to quit. We've talked about the messenger, talked about the message. Now, I'm quitting with this. This is called the moment, the moment. And it's not exactly the moment to quit, although that will be next, so stay with me. It's in that last verse, in verse 5, that we looked at. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul is saying God's glory is from eternity past to eternity present to eternity future. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so certainly that is our primary goal here at Hoffman Town is to glorify God. Every time that we come to God's house, we're to honor God. We're to bring him glory, glorify him uh, in his church, and that he would be certainly well pleased with us. Here, here's a couple things that I know you know, but I want to touch on them. Too many people live in the past. And let me tell you, at my age, it's just pretty easy to get nostalgic, isn't it? We look back sometimes with jaded eyes on reality, but, but we think about how things used to be, and, and we're endeared to those kind of things as if, and we probably don't even evaluate them in the right way. They probably weren't as good as we think they were, but, they, but that, was, that was good. I have a tendency to live in the past. I do. You know, matter of fact, uh, I listen to Sirius Radio some. Guess what? My, my station always goes to the 50s and 60s music. You know what I mean? <laughs> Stuff I like, man. I like country music as well. I uh, don't care for the new stuff that much, as you might expect. But give me some George Strait, amen? <laughs> I, if you don't like George Strait, you may not be saved. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm judging. I'm not judging. <laughs> I like that stuff. Matter of fact, I, I just had this conversation with Jerry and Pam. We're staying uh, at the monk's house, and Mary and I are going at the end of the uh, no, next month to see the Buddy Holly story. Got any Buddy Holly fans here? Amen. And so, anyhow, it's a new dinner theater there. We, we saw it a couple of years ago. Fantastic. If it comes to Albuquerque, don't you miss it. You'll rise up and call me blessed after you see it. <laughs> it's good stuff. We're living in the past, though. It's easy to do. But here's what I'm telling you today. It's not healthy. It's not healthy to live in the past. Now, some people, quite the opposite of that, they live in the future. Everything is about what's going to happen and how it should happen in, in, in the days to come. Some people live in the future and they spend their life dreaming of things about a better tomorrow, on and on and on. And I'll tell you what living in the future oftentimes does is, is it creates worry in our life. You got any worriers here today? If you're always concerned about what tomorrow may bring, you're going to be a worrier. 
someone has said worrying is using your imagination to create something you don't want. Isn't that true? Creating something you don't want. That's what worry is. You know, Jesus had something to say about worrying, didn't he? You know, he said, don't do it. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't do this. Some of you live in the future. Some of you live in the past. But here's what I'm asking you. Would you start living in the moment? If you're ever going to do any good in your life, you've got to live in the moment. And listen, I know, you can reflect about this church. You can go back to, to what it once was and, and all of a sudden live right there and say, you know, we're, we, we didn't used to look like this. Is, is that doing any good to live in that, that world? Of course not. You, you, can, you can always stay on the future and say, man, I, you know, it might get better. You know, we might get some, somebody here better than Pastor Steve. Hopefully you will. And, and, and live well. You know, it's some, someday out there. And I refuse to live right in the moment. But I'm asking you, when you come to church each and every Sunday, would you live in the moment? Would you come with anticipation? Would you come with a prepared heart and say, Lord, speak to my heart once again. Lead me in the way everlasting. I'm coming to hear from you. And this, being where you're at, is essential that you live in the moment. You know, Mary and I have taken a lot of trips to Israel. We went last year and took a group and uh, got plans to go again next year. But one of the things that I, I, I realized I had to do after a while is to do this very thing, to tell the people who are, who are traveling with us to, to live in the moment because they can't help themselves. You know, here we are in the Garden of Gethsemane or walking down the Via Della Rosa or uh, uh, going down the Palm Sunday path or... You know, uh, being at the garden, wherever, you know, people are always wanting to know, well, well are we behind schedule or uh, what, uh, what are we going to do? Now, are we going b back for dinner at the hotel? Are we going, you know what I mean? I want to say for crying out loud, this is the we're empty tomb. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> but that's the way we operate oftentimes. But if we live in the moment. This is the most important thing going on in your life right now. You know why? Because this is where you're at. Let's learn to live in the moment. Let's covet together to ask God to do some unique things in these days ahead. Let's covet together to continue hand in hand to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not into our own understanding. In all our ways, let's acknowledge him so he can and he will direct our paths. Would you bow your heads with me? We are going to make a public appeal today. And we do so not pragmatically to try to manipulate any situation. Or to do so because this has been part of the tradition of the church we do so because that's what happened when Peter preached at Pentecost he preached that wonderful message there in Acts chapter 2 and when he concluded you know what it says and with many other words Peter compelled him to come to come today I want to do that in the quietness of this hour if I'm speaking to you today and there's an emptiness in your soul 
and something's missing. I wonder, could it be a right relationship with the true and living God because you've never given him your life, your all? Some of you have been on a drift, not unlike I shared in my own life, a slow drift. But truth of the matter is, you've awakened and found yourself in the far country. And the compelling love of Jesus Christ whispers in your ear today, come, come. All you that are weary and heavy laden, and in me you can find rest for your soul. My yoke will be easy, my burden will be light. He says, come. You blessed of my Father, inherit a kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Today it might be good for you to come and take one of the staff members by the hand and just ask them to pray for you and your situation. Listen, we all bring heartaches and disappointments and troubles with us. And you know what the Bible says? Let's bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Maybe you'd like someone to bear your burden with you. And they'll come and pray with you and pray for you and get underneath that burden with you. Give us a chance to do that today. Staff will be at the front if you'd like to come and pray. Father in heaven, this is your time. We can give the outward call, but only you, O Holy Spirit of God, can give the inward call. So, Father, we pray to that end. We know when we lift up Jesus, you'll draw people to him, and so we lift him up. And now I pray that this would be a sanctified time, a precious time, a sweet time for people to come home to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. As we continue to meditate and have a prayerful attitude and the staff's here at the front, we'll have this invitation time and then we'll conclude our service. We're not going to be here long, but if God's spoken to your heart about a decision, this will be your opportunity to come. You come while we pray and while God moves. Father, thank you for the privilege of preaching your word today. Thank you for the, the beginning of uh, writing a new chapter, not in our own personal life, but in the life of this church. So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. That was one of many. That's all I know. <laughs> Thank you.
I'll promise you, if you'll continue to come back, we won't make you clap for us every time we come. That's a little goofy anyway, but I'd, uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say I enjoyed it a little bit. So uh, anyhow, God bless you for being here. You're free to go, and we'll see you next Sunday, okay? All right.